In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. I mean, today, as you um, as you heard in the Synexarium, is the second day of the uh, Feast of the Cross. When we celebrate the Feast of the Cross on the 17th of Tut, which uh, corresponded with um, this year on the 28th because of the uh, leap year, uh, we celebrate it for three days. So we have three days in which we uh, commemorate in September the consecration of the Church of the Cross. And we also celebrate in Baramhat during the Holy and Great Lent, the founding of the cross by Queen Helena. Uh, and, uh, and so the church, because we cannot uh, properly celebrate the Feast of the Cross in the Lent, has also this feast that we celebrate for three days during the month of Tut or in September. So we'll take just uh, some moments together to reflect on the cross and the, of course, the centrality of the cross in the Christian faith and in our lives. And if we look even in the, um, in the Gospels themselves, we see that really the, the peak of the account of the Gospels is the passion of our Lord. If you look at, for example, the, um, the Synoptic Gospels, about uh, one-third of the Synoptic Gospels is dedicated to the final week of our Lord's earthly life, and uh, almost one-half of St. John's Gospel. So it means that you... Th- Think about just from a, a, a point in terms of, of the centrality of the message of the passion of our Lord. Clearly, the four Gospels are giving a certain importance to this final week and the life of our Lord, uh, as opposed to um, all of the details which could have made up the three years, the three and a half years of his public ministry before. So, clearly, uh, the Gospels themselves are kind of building up. They are leading us to this, uh, this peak of God's revelation in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ through the death and resurrection of, 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 of our Lord. So, of course, and we know also, in, in especially in our Coptic Orthodox Church, the, um, the pinnacle for us of, of, the, of the ecclesiastical year, which is the Lenten period leading up to the Holy Week leading up to the Feast of the Resurrection, making up a significant portion of our year. And uh, 50 days after the Resurrection, that's, you have there over 100 some days um, that the Church dedicates to this uh, Paschal mystery of the Cross and the Resurrection of our Lord. So the, quest, the, the question that I want us to reflect on together this morning is, why the Cross? Why the Cross? Some people uh, might say that the cross is the manifestation of divine love, that our Lord, by allowing this kind of death, this death on the cross, this shameful and abhorrent death of the cross, that it's the way that he shows perfectly his love for us. And it is true. It is true that our Lord himself said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But again, we might ask, but why such a horrible death? Wasn't it possible for the Lord to reveal his love by dying for us in another way? Couldn't his death for us uh, in any other form been a proof of his love for us, for mankind? But why the shame of the cross? Why the... uh, why that specific form of death, which was 
And that, in those times, of course, considered the worst possible way for one to be executed. So perhaps we say, well, he died as an exchange for us. That is, as a result of the fall of Adam and Eve and the entrance of death into the world, he came and he conquered death with his death and he granted us life. And of course, this is true. But again, he could have died for us in any number of ways. Why the cross? Why the exchange of death had to be through the cross? Is it a means by which he forgives our sins? That he reconciles humanity with himself? This is true again. The cross certainly has this redemptive characteristic that it grants us this kind of reconciliation and forgiveness of our sins. But is the cross merely the place where the Lord pronounces forgiveness of sin? Or is the cross changing something, affecting something? Is the manner of the crucifixion itself necessary for God to forgive sins? Or wouldn't it have been enough for him to pronounce the forgiveness of sins? Again, when we think about such questions, we ultimately arrive still at a, a kind of quandary. Why the cross? Why this mode of death? Well, before we can answer that question, or before we can attempt to answer that question, we have to really have an appreciation for how much the cross was truly a scandal. The scandal of the cross. Christ's death on the cross and our uh, response to it as Christians, the worshipping of one who was crucified, is really one of the most radical uh, and I can say unreligious concepts that emerges within Christianity. The very idea that one who was crucified would be worshipped and that those who, who follow him would worship him on the cross is really something that shook the, the world at the time of the apostles and St. Paul. It didn't make any sense because the cross was truly a scandal. St. Paul, even when he preaches, he has to almost qualify his preaching by saying, for example, in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, why would he say that? He, he says that because there were many who were ashamed of the cross, because the cross was a symbol of somebody who blasphemed against God, against somebody who was rejected by God, by somebody who was considered to be an irreligious person. It was the epitome of, of, of the person who was a complete rejection by the deity. So when St. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he says that because he knows he's speaking to people who are hesitant to, uh, to accept the cross. And that's why also, for example, in Philippians, when he says about our Lord's humility, he says what? He says, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. But then he even qualifies that by saying what? Even death on a cross. In other words, it wasn't simply a humiliation that God who became man died. That in and of itself is an extreme form of humiliation and an extreme offering of humility. But St. Paul says not only did he die, but he died this abhorrent death, the death of the cross. And so for St. Paul, 
St. Paul, Saint Paul's gospel is the gospel of the cross. You don't find in the letters of St. Paul almost any teachings of our Lord. He doesn't speak about the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't speak about the parables. He doesn't speak about the miracles of Christ. He briefly speaks about the Eucharist, what he received from the Lord about the Last Supper. But his gospel is the gospel of the cross. That's why uh, we read in 1 Corinthians, he said to them, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This was his message. This was his gospel. The gospel of St. Paul is a gospel of the cross. Somehow St. Paul understood and entered into the mystery of the cross in a way that made it the central message of his preaching. But it was a scandal, and that's why St. Paul had to keep re-emphasizing the importance of the centrality of the cross to the early Christians. The cross was considered a punishment for those who were godless. In the book of Deuteronomy, it said that the one who was hanged on a tree was accursed by God. Accursed by God. It was not just somebody who was executed for committing a crime, but it was a symbol of somebody who was rejected and accursed by God himself. So, it was a very difficult thing for the believers of our Lord Jesus Christ to understand why the cross, why this shame, why this godlessness associated with it. It specifically means that the person who was crucified was in a sense damned by God, condemned by God, doomed. It would be, for those who were witnessing Jesus on the cross, it would be the final proof, it would be the final proof that he was truly a blasphemer, that he truly, that everything he had said and done before that point was discredited. Why then the cross? One cancer patient who suffered for many years said, it is not suffering as such that is most deeply feared, but suffering that degrades. It is not suffering in itself that is most deeply feared, but it is suffering that degrades. It is that suffering in which we um, are degraded of our humanity, degraded in the eyes of others. It's that suffering that is the most difficult to bear. And crucifixion was specifically designed to be that degradation of the human person. It was an insult to the very dignity of that person's humanity. It was dehumanizing. Degradation and dehumanization was the point of crucifixion. It was to basically say that this person is not a man, but he is worse than a worm, a reptile. So when we say that Christ took upon himself the sin of the world, it doesn't simply mean that he removed some sort of disease, but that he bore within himself on this cross all the shame and all the degradation and all the injustice that we have inflicted on one another and that he specifically had done nothing to deserve. That from the beginning to the end of humankind, all of this degradation and all of this shame was poured out on him on the cross. 
So we say the cross is the place of redemption, but it is also the place of righteousness and justice. In the Greek word, righteousness and justice are the same. There is no difference in the Greek word between righteous and ju- righteousness and justice. In English, they translate them, in the, depending on the context, either as righteousness or justice. But when we look at the Old Testament, we see that one of the, the important um, teachings of the Old Testament is the justice of God. God is righteous in that He is just. And, and that is an, an important part of the message of the, of the covenant because an, a non-indignant God, that is a God who is okay with injustice, would himself be an accomplice to it. To it. If, if God was simply a bystander to the injustice of the world, then he would be complicit with the crimes of humanity. So God is, 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 is truly indignant in the Old Testament. He constantly says that he is on the side of the widows and the orphans. He is on the side of the poor. He is on the side of those who have been at the worst end of injustice. And it shows that God is attentive to the details of our human relationships. He is attentive to the needs of those who have been on that side of injustice. He is always on the side of the defenseless, the poor, the stranger, the refuge, the refugee, sorry, the orphan, and so on. And there are many cases in the Old Testament, if you go through the Old Testament, where God flatly rejects the people's sacrifices. He, reflect, he rejects their worship because it is not conjoined with mercy, with righteousness, with justice. And so he rejects even the very things that he prescribed to his people to do because it is not linked with the sense of justice. But the problem is, who can say who is the victim and who is the victimizer? Which one of us can say that we are truly only victims? But in some way, each one of us is also a victimizer. Because of our fallenness, because of our own sins, every one of us is on both ends of that injustice. We are the perpetrators, but we are also those who have received that injustice. And that's why Isaiah says in chapter 64, he says, We have all become like one who is unclean. All our righteousness are like filthy rags. Not because it was impossible for those of the Old Testament to to manifest a form of righteousness, but again, because of our fallenness, every one of us is implicitly, complicitly involved in the injustice of the world. And so the crucifixion, in a sense puts an end to all of these religious categories that separate you and I from one another. Those who are righteous from those who are unrighteous. The righteous from the sinners. The good from the bad. This is how our, how our idea of religion was. That we were somehow in one category or another. But the cross shows us that there is no difference between the righteous and the unrighteous, the sinner and the righteous. We are all this terrible mix of both sin and righteousness, of just and unjust people. And it also shows that those who are in need of redemption are not simply those who receive the injustice, 
But the perpetrators of injustice too are the ones who need that redemption. So the cross shows again that there is no separation. And all of our human history has shown that we simply are not capable of delivering justice in proportion to the injustice of the world. In what way can we possibly make up for any of the, even the big, we could take the big things like the Holocaust or different genocides, whatever the millions of abortions that have taken place, whatever you can conjure in your mind of some sort of significant historical injustice, there can never be a human response that can make right what was made wrong. Nothing can make up. We have no power within ourselves to bring about justice. Perhaps in some small areas, somebody ha and deals with some injustice in his work and he goes to the court and the court delivers him some justice. But we don't have the solution within our humanity to bring about a justice for the ultimate injustices of our sins. So we find ourselves in this dilemma that we keep perpetuating this injustice and yet there is no response from within. And the whole idea of our salvation is that the response has to come from outside. But it has to also be part of us. So it has to be initiated by God, but He becomes one of us so that He initiates it from within our nature, from within our humanity. And that's why Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall ex execute justice and righteousness in the land. This was the promise that the people began to understand was awaiting them. That there would arise one who could be able to bring justice and righteousness to the land. One who from within our human condition could find the solution to the solution that we ourselves do not have. I want to read a beautiful quote from uh, one of the recent theologians speaking about the cross. She said, Human agents can administer justice up to a point, and human forgiveness can certainly carry with it the power of God. But actual rectification, making right what has been wrong so that the wrong no longer exists, is impossible for human beings. The coming day of the Lord in the Old Testament, or the new creation of Isaiah, or the kingdom of God of the Synoptic Gospels, or eternal life in the Gospel of St. John, or the new Jerusalem of Revelation. All of these things are speaking about this new reality. These will not be accomplished by, through us, through our own human beings, means, but only through the working of God. God will bring about a new creation. God will bring about the kingdom of God. God will initiate eternal life and the new Jerusalem. So God's justice... Our understanding of God's justice is not about rewarding the righteous and punishing the sinners or the wicked. It is about a triumph, a victory, independent of anything that we can do, good or bad. God will have the final say, and He has had that say on the cross. So, by becoming poor, by becoming human by becoming man as one who was himself deprived of his rights the one who died through an injustice that was inflicted upon him 
our Lord Jesus Christ submitted himself to the utmost and extreme humiliation, and he entered into solidarity with all of those who are without help. At this moment, when Jesus was crucified in Golgotha, all of all of the demonic powers, all of the demonic powers were unleashed. All of the injustice, all of the shame, all of the evil, all of the sin fell upon him. And he, taking our humanity, allowed it to crush him. He allowed it to destroy him on the cross. But his resurrection was a new creation, a new creation. And so the cross was the destruction of the old and a remaking of the new, a new creation. It isn't just a forgiveness. It isn't just a pardon. It isn't just a manifestation of divine love, but it is a new creation. We are recreated in His humanity through that destruction of the old humanity and the renewal of that humanity through the resurrection and uh, His exaltation at the right hand of the Father. So this is what happens on the cross. There was a 14th century mystic, her name was Julian of Norwich. She lived at a time uh, in between the uh, Hundred Years' War between England and France um, in the uh, 15th, 14th century, as I mentioned. And during that time, there was what was called the Great Pestilence, or later it was uh, called the Black Death, which killed about half of the population of Europe. Some 50 million people died in this plague. She became sick, and she was paralyzed, and she was near death. And the local priest came to pray over her before she died, and he told her to fix her eyes on the cross, and there to remain fixed, fixated on the cross until the Lord called her home. Suddenly, she experienced an immediate healing. All her pain was taken away, and she saw a vision of Christ, and he was on the cross. And for 12 hours, she entered into a, a kind of mystical experience, a form of ecstasy, in which she revealed, uh, re received I'm sorry, 16 revelations that stayed with her the rest of her life that she later wrote down. After that, she lived in perfect health after that recovery for 25 years as a hermit. And she later wrote down those 16 revelations. I just want to read... One final, uh, as a final conclusion to our reflection, one thing that our Lord said to her in that mystical experience that she had. Now, remember, he's saying this to her from the cross. She sees him from the cross and he says to her, I am able to make everything well. And I know how to make everything well. And I wish to make everything well. And I shall make everything well. And you shall see for yourself that all manner of things shall be well. This is the message of the cross. That God is able to make all things well. He knows how to make all things well. He desires to make all things well. He will make all things well. And we shall see for ourselves that He has in fact made all things well. So for us, 
the cross is a new creation, a new life. When we look at the cross, we see our rebirth, the recreation of, a huma- of our humanity. All of the problems of death and sin and injustice have been dealt with. He has had the final word, and the word is the word of the cross. Our job then, in living this word, is to do like St. Paul says, and to die daily. To die daily means that we love God and we love our neighbor above ourselves. That we die to that old man. We die to the man of sin, to the man of injustice, to the man of death and corruption. And we live that new creation that he has given us. We live that new life of righteousness, which he is working in us. It is a synergy between our desire, our will, and, but mostly his grace and his power working in us. It is the power of the cross that makes us experience that new creation. And he wants us to taste it. He doesn't want us to live again in the categories of sinner and righteous, good and bad, but he wants us to live in the category of a new creation. Christ didn't come to bring about a moral perfection. He came to give us life. He didn't come to bring us from the bad to the good, but he came to bring us from death to life. And this is the message of the cross. May our Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified for us on the cross, may he reveal to us most perfectly within ourselves that new life, and to him is done just to do all glory now and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen.